Hi, everybody. Dick Vitale. Hey, make sure you listen, man, to Lockdown Blue Devils with J.J. Jackson. He's awesome, baby. You are Locked On Blue Devils, your daily podcast on the Duke Blue Devils, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another episode of the Lockdown Blue Devils podcast. My name is JJ Jackson. It's so great to have you here with us on this Friday here in the month of June. Excited to be with you once again here on the program. Lockdown Blue Devils, of course, is your one-stop shop for everything going on in the world of Duke athletics. Duke baseball today getting set to open up the Conway Regional with Coastal Carolina. Duke should be uh, having a fun weekend there at Myrtle Beach. Best of luck to Chris Pollard and his team there. We discuss everything from basketball to the lacrosse run that the men's team just went on. And you, of course, can find our show wherever you get your podcast and by watching the show on YouTube each and every day. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, like our podcast and episodes each and every day as well. Your support means the absolute world. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils and follow me on Twitter at underscore JJ underscore Jackson underscore. Much like earlier in the week, it's fill in the blank time now that summer has arrived. And who better to have on the program than my very good pal, Jason Evans from Duke Basketball Roundup, back with us once again to talk all things Duke Hoops. Jason, the time is always greatly appreciated. Summer has arrived. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, man. We've got good weather here in Atlanta. It's not gotten really hot yet, so I love that. This is <laughs> this is my time of year. Starting in about yeah, two or three weeks, I think, it starts to get a little bit unbearable here. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I, I can't take too much heat, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah, excited to be able to talk about what's going on in, in the Duke basketball world. We've got folks uh, arriving back on campus. It's K Academy. A lot of former Blue Devils uh, in Cameron throughout the week. It's always something that we really look forward to each and every year to see former players get the opportunity to interact with current players. And all the while, there are some special basketball players uh, in that 35-plus demographic that are out there on the Cameron floor uh, taking some shots. Yeah, and and this is where I think the brotherhood really begins for these freshmen, that they, they are going to be surrounded by guys who they grew up idolizing, guys who are currently in the NBA. The K Academy is just it's such a cool event. And, and it's the first time these guys are going to be, these four players are going to be together as a class. Uh, you know, it, it'll be a chance for them to begin playing together, getting to know each other, playing with some of the guys who are currently on the team, who will be on the team next year. But, but the biggest thing, I think, is just them really feeling like they are part of the brotherhood because that's something that, you know, thank you, Coach K. That's something that lasts well beyond the one, two, or maybe as much as four years that the guys, these guys spend in Durham. Yeah, no, super excited to, to see what the week holds and to get to hear from a lot of these uh, new freshmen on campus, to get to have um, some media opportunities with returning players to see what they've been up to in the past and- few weeks. And by the way, JJ, there's been there's some crazy naysayers out there who have always been like, "Ooh, are all these guys going to show up?" You know, all these players came back for Duke, and Duke's been looking for players in the transfer portal. Are all these freshmen going to arrive on campus? Well, they've now arrived on campus. They haven't officially uh, they haven't officially entered into classes yet, but 
they're pretty much here. Let's fill in some blanks here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils. JJ Jackson again beside my pal Jason Evans from Duke Basketball Roundup. And Jason, here we are talking about guys arriving on campus, starting to play a little bit of pickup together in their downtime. A lot of big expectations for the team, and that sets up perfectly our first one here today. Duke men's basketball should be ranked blank in the preseason top 25. What do you think here? You may think me sacrilegious for saying this. I'm going to say number two. Okay. Not number one. And my reason is this. The Kansas Jayhawks are going to be returning four seniors and a junior, all five of whom established themselves as very, very good college players who are extremely experienced. I think that Hunter Dickinson, who they got coming over from Michigan, arguably the, the best big man in the country, is, is really going to thrive in the, in the kind of offense, the kind of play that Kansas you know, has, has played for years now. And I, I would go with the team that has more experience over the team. In Duke, that has a little, like, Duke is very experienced, but it's less than what Kansas has. I would, at the moment, make Kansas the number one team. But Duke is clearly number two, nipping at their heels. And I'm I'm not sure. There's some other teams. Look, Marquette's really good. There are a bunch of other teams that are very, very good. I'm not sure there's anybody who's quite in Duke and Kansas's league at this point. They, they are both teams who did really well in getting back guys who could have gone into the draft. They are both teams that, uh, you know, have some impact freshmen who are coming in. And in the case of Kansas, again, adding Hunter Dickinson is a really, really big deal. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I definitely think Kansas will be preseason number one with all the talent returning. Kevin McCullough was a big one. And you think about the guys coming back and then you forget, oh, wait, as you mentioned, Hunter Dickinson is coming over. Not only do you have the top talent coming back, they've got some stud freshmen coming in as they do each and every year at Kansas. So that's a really good basketball team. But that is also not to take away from the Stuke team that, uh, yeah, I definitely believe deserves to be ranked in that top three range when we're looking at that preseason top 25. Yeah, uh, uh, there's absolutely no question about it. And look, for Duke fans, this is something we haven't experienced since, oh, like 2013 or so. We were getting back four starters. And the fact that three of them were, you know, at least, uh, look, certainly two of them, Proctor and, and, uh, and Filipowski, were going to be drafted. Uh, the fact that we're getting back guys who could have been drafted, who were likely first rounders. I mean, there, there are a lot of people who, who will tell you that of all the players returning to college basketball this season, that Kyle Filipowski and Tyrese Proctor are the top two returning players in, in the entire sport. Uh, that's, uh, for that to be on the same team, for that to yeah. be on a Duke team <laughs> that has done nothing but produce one and done players for the better part of a decade it's something we're not used to, but something we are all super excited about. Yeah, we don't mind that at all. And that perfectly sets up our next fill in the blank. Of course, if you're watching us on YouTube, we'd love for you to comment down below how you would fill in these blanks as well. So talking about Kyle Filipowski returning to the sport as, as one of the faces in college basketball going into the year, we ask this, Kyle Filipowski's seen, uh, ceiling, ceiling for his sophomore season is blank. What's his ceiling? His ceiling is, is national player of the year. Wow. There's absolutely no question about that, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I think probably more likely, I, I would probably project him as a first-team All-American in the preseason, and I would probably project Hunter Dickinson as the preseason player of the year. But 
the, the notion that Kyle can't pass Hunter Dickinson is ludicrous in my mind. And I think the player of the year race really will come down to how well Duke does. If the Blue Devils stumble a little bit, um, if we fall out of the top 10, it becomes really hard to win player of the year. If you go back over the years and look at the guys who win national player of the year, it's almost always a team in the top 10. Heck, it's almost always a team in the top five. And it just, you know, it's hard to get the attention if you're not on a team that is winning consistently again and again and again for player of the year. All-American's a different story, although it helps to be very, you know, if your team's really successful there as well. But, but I, I, I feel like, you know, the, the ceiling for him is to potentially be player of the year. And the other thing that's going to matter in all of this is the play of his teammates. Uh, and, and by that, I don't just mean winning games, which is essential to this process. But let's say Tyrese Proctor comes on and turns into arguably this, the best point guard in America. That's not an impossibility. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it is not something that is at all far-fetched based on the Tyrese Proctor we saw late in the year based on the experience, the, 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 sorry, the, the transition you quite frequently see from guys going from freshman to sophomore year. If Tyrese Proctor turns into one of the best players in the country, a guy who's also contending for first-team All-American, that can diminish and that can hurt Kyle Filipowski's attempt to be player of the year. If you, uh, again, if you look back on the, you know, the player of the year list, it is pretty rare for there to be a guy who wins it who has a teammate who's also you know, even a little bit in the running or, 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 who's, or who's also a first-team All-American. You have to kind of go back to Zion Williamson, who won Player of the Year when R.J. Barrett was a first-team All-American. But Zion had such an overwhelming yeah. year. So clear. Yeah. I mean, no one is going to project that Kyle Filipowski is going to have the kind of statistical season, the kind of unprecedented success that Zion Williamson did. And so I think a little bit of it depends on uh, you know, there are two factors in it. One is how much does Duke win? The other factor is how good are his teammates? If his teammates are too good, it can diminish a little bit of Kyle's ceiling, so to speak. Well, National Player of the Year is a pretty awesome ceiling for any player to have going into an upcoming season. I I'm right there with you. I don't see there. I don't see a reason why he can't be one of the premier faces uh, and players production-wise, you name it. Uh, in the sport as a whole. I'm so thrilled to see what year two of flip looks like. See if we can get a little bit more uh, consistent numbers from the outside shooting develop uh, on the interior, um, both offensively and defensively. I mean, guys get better year after year. Uh, development certainly takes place and, and you'd be silly not to think that's going to happen with Kyle Filipowski. And by the way, that's saying a guy that won ACC rookie of the year, first time since 2013, We've had one of those players in the ACC return for their sophomore season. So pretty high expectations for Flip. Yeah, and, and the thing that excites me the most, I think, about what Flip's season could be next year is I think there's going to be a decent percentage of time. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be more than half the game, but probably in the 15 to 20 minute or so, uh, you know, kind of range where Flip is – both our biggest guy on the floor and not just talking about size, but it look, like he's bigger than Ryan Young, but Ryan Young's going to play in the post and Flip's going to play on the wing when they're both in the game together. But, but that Flip would be the only guy that you would presumably say, Oh, that guy's playing in the post. And I want to be clear. I don't think during those 15 or so minutes that Flip will be playing in the post. I think he'll mostly be on the, on the perimeter playing, you know, Duke's going to play a lot of five out, I think, which is a really interesting thing to, to talk about and think about because 
it, it puts a real challenge on the defense. How do you guard a team that's playing five out? You know, do you take your rim protector away from the rim to guard flip? Do, you know, uh, how, how do you protect against all the guys who are going to be diving to the basket in a situation like that? But the notion of Kyle Filipowski as the five, so to speak, as the biggest guy on the floor for Duke and him being on the perimeter guarded by opposing fives. You know, th- think of a team like NC State that has DJ Burns, who's a really good offensive player, but you put DJ Burns out at the three-point line with Kyle Filipowski with the ball in his hands. Trouble. That situation <laughs> for NC State. That's not going to work very well for them. Uh, I, I just think there's some really interesting possibilities when Duke is is playing five out for Kyle to to really put on a show at times. And, and that could be a lot of fun to watch as a Blue Devil fan. And by the way, it won't just be him. It's Tyrese Proctor, it's Jeremy Roach, and some of the and Mark Mitchell for that matter. Some of these other guys looking at the lane and seeing a lot of space in there for them to operate. Well, we'll have a few more fill-in-the-blank topics that we want to get to after our first time out here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils. Locked On Blue Devils here today is brought to you by our very good friends over at FanDuel. FanDuel is America's number one sports book, and I could not recommend it more. Right now, you want to make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA Finals. The Heat and Nuggets, what a fun series we expect this to be. And right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet. A no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. We've got tons of player props that you can take part in. Nikola Jokic, the assist prop, is always one that you want to get your hands on. How many points will Jimmy Butler continue to score throughout the series and more? Which team will make more three-pointers throughout the finals? So many great bets to take part in over at FanDuel, and that's why there's no better place to bet on all the finals action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel is an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Moving forward here on today's episode of Locked On Blue Devils, J.J. Jackson alongside my pal Jason Evans. We're talking just a moment ago about our friends at FanDuel, talking about the NBA Finals being played between the Nuggets and the Heat. So why not talk about the association a little bit for our next one here, Paulo Bancaro, this year's Rookie of the Year. I simply ask this, Paulo Bancaro's rookie season was blank. How do you answer that one, Jason? I think it was a preview of a guy who's someday going to be an all-NBA player. To be clear, that's one of the top 15 players in the league. And the reason I think that is that he clearly expanded his game from what we saw at Duke. Um, and Paulo is still young. He doesn't turn 21 until this November. Jeez. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was dominant at times playing in the NBA this year. Uh, not all the time, but at times he was. He showed at times that he can carry a team. Look, Paulo needs to get much more efficient. He needs to get better at his three-pointer. He needs to get better on defense. But the fact that he improved so much from last year to this year in the, in the league shows you that he is a hard worker, shows you that he's dedicated to getting better, shows you that he's teachable. The fact that he is so young shows you that he's going to get a little more physical, a little bit stronger. And most guys in the NBA hit their peak 25, 26, 27, somewhere in there, and then they hold it until they're 30 or 31. Paulo's still at least four years away from that. And he was 
you know, an ascendant player this year. I, I, I absolutely think, I believe that at some point in his career, he'll be someone who will be considered one of the top 15 players in the NBA, maybe even a little bit better than that. It's, it's tough. It is really tough to crack like that top 10 or so. Uh, when, when you look at the list of the top 10 players in the league, when you look at the really great players who don't make first or second team all NBA, sure, it, it shows you how hard it is. But I think, I think he has a chance at that. I think Paulo, perhaps most importantly, knows he has a chance to be that good, and he's going to put in the work. Everything we've seen about this kid, his progression from high school to college, everything we've seen about him is uh, the profile of a guy who gets better, is teachable, and is willing to make the sacrifices necessary to really excel. Yeah, I'd say Paulo Bencaro's rookie season was blank. I'd say it was good as you could ask for. Uh, if you're a Paulo fan, a Magic fan, whatever the case may be, you look back at the year that was, you look back at um, draft talk a year ago when we were in this position, still a lot of word about Jabari Smith potentially as that top guy, Chet Holmgren right there at the top as well, and Paulo just stayed even kill throughout the course. I can remember, uh, you know, Jason, you and I both four or five weeks into the NBA season. So many people were in love with Benedict Matherin and what he was doing to start his rookie season for the Pacers. And then he fell off a little bit. As you mentioned, there was never really a bad fall off, so to speak, in Paulo's rookie year. Yeah, there were some games that weren't as great as others, but you did not have some of the poor slumps that even someone like Jabari Smith, who will be a really good basketball player, experienced. And then Chet Holmgren doesn't even play a single season. So I'd have to say that it was as good as you could ask for. Yeah, and, and to me, one of the key things is he was unquestionably the best player and the leader of that Orlando team. JJ, it is really hard to be the best player on an NBA team. That is not an easy thing to accomplish to do that. <laughs> At, at the age of, of 19, again, I said he doesn't turn 21 until later this year. He was, at the age of 19, the best player on an NBA team. That's stunning. That's ridiculous. Good thing. <laughs> and, and it shows you how high that ceiling is. Love that. All right, here we go. We're moving forward. Fill in the blanks. Blank is the player that I'm expecting the most improvement from next season. So we'll kind of transition back to Duke basketball. We're talking, of course, the 23-24 season uh, upcoming that'll get started in November. So who's that player for you? Tyrese Proctor. Uh, okay. And I, I bet you could ask 20 Duke fans, and they would probably all tell you the name Tyrese Proctor. I don't think anyone's going to be surprised to hear that from me. You stole it from me as well, so go right ahead. There you yeah, go. so Tyrese shot 32% from three last year. He was only 38% on his field goals all overall. But over his final 10 games – he was better than 40% from three. And we should not forget that Tyrese Proctor came to Duke a year early. Right. He is younger than he's supposed to be. He is supposed also to be. Also a young guy, yeah. Yeah, he's supposed to be one of the rising freshmen this year. But, oh, his senior year of high school was playing in the ACC <laughs> as the starting point guard for the Duke Blue Devils who won the conference and, uh, you know, and made at least a little bit of noise in the NCAA tournament. The... The ceiling is the roof for this kid. He, he's, he really has tremendous, tremendous potential. We, got, we kept on getting glimpses of it during the season, and those glimpses started to become more like sustained glances by the end of the year. I think that especially as someone who was very young and who wasn't experienced in, uh, you know, in high school basketball in the, in the U.S. Um, 
uh, AAU circuit and the such. I think that the, the learning curve for him, the, the steepness, the degree of improvement that he will have from freshman to sophomore year may be even greater than, than uh, you know, other freshmen. And I, I, I almost don't see a way that he isn't at least Duke's second best player next year. And I think, you know, we were talking, we talked so much about Flip earlier. There's a scenario, I said it, you know, where Proctor is arguably the best point guard in America. There's a scenario where, depending on how things go, Proctor's the guy in the running for player of the year. I think it's easier to project Flip there. No sure. question about it. And if, you, if I had to put money, if I was in Vegas, <laughs> I'd put my money on Flip before Tyrese Proctor. But it's, it's not an impossibility, and I won't be shocked if Tyrese Proctor is – considered one of the five or so best players in college basketball next season. And if he's a top five pick in the NBA draft. I'm right there with you. I love the the upside that we've got for Proctor going into year two. I think he's going to be an absolutely remarkable player. Let's keep it moving, but we'll take one more break before we do so here on Locked on Blue Devils. Thanks so much for always making Locked on Blue Devils your first listen and first watch each and every day. Do us a favor, follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Blue Devils. You can find the podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and written review. Your support means the absolute world to us. Like this video on YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as we continue to grow this Locked on Blue Devils community. Also, make sure you check out Locked on College Basketball. Isaac Shade and Andy Patton do a remarkable job telling you everything that you need to know about the sport this time of year as they're already taking a look at some bold predictions for the college basketball season ahead, taking a look at some ACC numbers even, and you want to check all of that out on Locked On College Basketball, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, moving forward here on today's episode of the program, alongside my pal Jason Evans from Duke Basketball Roundup, I'm J.J. Jackson. Tell us a little bit about Duke Basketball Roundup, if you will. Jason, what would you like to promote? Oh, boy, I don't know. Uh, it's the off season, so things are a little bit slower than they have been. We will definitely be doing uh, what we've done in past years regarding Duke and the NBA draft. We'll probably be talking again, as we've done in the past, to Jay Billis, uh, he, he works the draft. He's one of the top draft analysts that you can find out there. And we'll be talking to him about uh, the prospects for Derek Lively and Derek Whitehead. Uh, we'll break down each one of those guys. We'll project sort of where we think they probably go, the best circumstances that they can have, and, and also what their, what their you know, rookie seasons will be like in the league. Derek Lively has been turning some heads lately. Uh, people are noticing that his game is maybe a little bit more than what he showed at Duke. People are also noticing what a ridiculous impact that guy has on the defensive end of the floor. Man, I, yeah. I, I know most people are projecting that he's going to go outside the lottery. I think there are going to be several NBA teams who are like, how did we pass on this guy? <laughs> if I had to pick in the top 10, I'd be looking long and hard at Derek Lively. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Go check out Duke Basketball Roundup. And, of course, you can follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Duke Evans. So let's, uh, let's keep it moving. Fill in the blank here with Locked On Blue Devils. We've got two more, uh, Jason, to close it out. We talked ceilings <clears throat> a little bit earlier. Uh, let's continue that. We'll continue to talk about those great ceilings. For Duke to reach its ceiling next season, blank will happen. Uh, the first thing is, and no one's going to be surprised by this, the team will shoot better from three than they did in the past. Last year, Duke was barely a top 200 team in the country at hitting three-pointers. They hit, you know, just barely 33%, a third of their threes. 
I know we're getting four four players back, four starters back from last year's team, and everyone's super excited about that. But let's not forget those four guys uh, struggled a bit shooting shooting from long range. I think the way the game has progressed, the way the game has changed over time, you've just got to be good at hitting three pointers to really be successful uh, at the college, you know, or the pro level. And uh, for Duke to reach the ceiling, they, they're just going to have to be better than 33% from three. I, th- I think they probably need to be more like 35. And if you tell me they're at 38% or so, then man, uh, this is a team that's probably cutting down multiple nets over the course of, of, of next season. The, the other thing that I, you know, and I don't know if this falls in what they need to do to be good or, or what we worry about, but I, I do worry a little bit about some drop-off for this team on, on defense. Uh, I, I think one part of them reaching their ceiling this year is going to have to be that, that they figure out a way to play really strongly on defense without someone like Derek Lively, without a rim protector, to erase those mistakes. Because uh, th- there's no way to calculate how important – Duke's strongest thing last year was defense. They were a top 20 team in the country, and, and by the end of the year, they were probably one of the top five defensive teams in, in all college basketball. And, and that was largely because Derek Lively made mistakes turn into fast breaks the other direction. And uh, to be perfectly honest, there's no one on the roster who can even come close to approximating what he did. And so to reach Duke's ceiling, to be as good as they can be, they're going to have to figure out how to still be very effective on defense while not having someone like that guarding the rim. And then you mentioned shooting right out of the top, and that's something that uh, the poor shooting I discussed a little bit earlier in the week in separate conversations on the show with Brendan Marks and Connor O'Neill both, and and that's going to set up our final fill-in-the-blank here. If Duke next season is a disappointment, it will be because blank. And I spoke earlier this week, Jason, about some of those shooting concerns from the outside. And it's one thing to look at somebody like Jared McCain, who we believe will be a great shooter, We've got to actually see that with our own eyes play out. You know how difficult um, you know numbers can be actually translating to that college game uh, and whatnot. But I truly do agree with you that if Duke wants to reach um, its full ceiling next year, they've got to be able to knock down shots from the outside when it matters most. When things get tough and physical down in the post, what is better than being able to kick it out to an open shooter who's just a bucket getter and can get you one knocking it down from the outside? And, and I'll add to, I mean, to, to fill in your blank, you know, if the season is disappointing, it will be because I think it'll be because Duke didn't get the production that a lot of us expect from their bench. And that's a controversial take because everyone says that's this really is really good. Wow. Yeah, well, everyone says this is a Duke team that has unbelievable depth, but that depth is going to be primarily composed of four freshmen, none of whom are ranked in the top 10 in their class in a freshman class that is universally considered not as good as some previous freshman classes. What's more, that depth is composed of guys like Jalen Blakes and Jaden Shute and Christian Reeves, who frankly haven't contributed at a high ACC level at all during their ACC careers so far. We've seen maybe some little glimpses from Jalen Blakes, but if I, if I came to you right now and said, hey, Jalen Blake's going to be a key six man for Duke next year, 
you might go great for Jalen, but you'd probably go that that could be a problem for Duke. So my one of my concerns, and this seems bonkers with a team that has this much depth, but if I tell you that Sean Stewart is going to struggle to do much more than just be a little bit of a pogo stick and not going to score very much when he plays, is that a shock? No. If I tell you that Jared McCain suddenly facing guys who are as big as him and quicker than him, maybe struggles a little bit getting a shot off and maybe struggles to hit 30% from three. Are you going to be shocked? No. I tell you that Caleb Foster, who's a guy who's been used to being physical and pushing guys around and getting into the, the lane at will struggles doing that against ACC juniors and seniors. Are you going to be shocked? No. But I tell you that TJ power who wasn't even considered a top 25 recruit until he, until he came into Duke, that he struggles with the transition and that he's, really primarily a four and that he's not going to get much time at the four because that's where Kyle Filipowski's playing. Are you going to be shocked? No. Suddenly that Duke bench that looks like it's seven deep, maybe it isn't that deep. And so suddenly you're like, okay, well, wait a second. Kyle Filipowski's playing five and gets in foul trouble. What are we doing here? I mean, you can see. Yeah. I'm not saying any of this is going to happen, JJ, but I guarantee you when I said I'm worried about Duke's depth, you had a lot of listeners go, Jason Evans is crazy. I wonder if they're thinking that right now. <laughs> well, I will let you know when you've been on in the past, the YouTube comments down below love when we get Jason Evans stopping by on the program for thoughts like that, right? Like I was struggling. If Duke next season is a disappointment, it will be because the bench like that is incredible. I, I wish I would have thought of that myself, but I'm going to sit here and kind of echo exactly what you said. Uh, really needing those guys to step up and be able to make an impact. What do those returners and, you know, no other portal big man comes in. What do you actually get if you need to go to Christian Reeves or do we finally get to see Jaden shoot in his sophomore season, take a step forward. And then those four freshmen, like you said as well. Now I'll tell you the reason I'm very optimistic, even though I just laid out your scenario where, where Duke really struggles uh, with 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 the bench being productive. The reason I'm optimistic that that probably won't happen is I had to give you a whole bunch of ifs. <laughs> yeah. there, there are seven seven or eight guys that that I had to go, oh, what if things go badly for every single one of these guys? I think the odds are pretty good that it may not go great for a couple of them, but the odds that it doesn't go well for at least two, three, four of them is pretty darn slim. And so I think that probably Duke is going to be fine. But if you ask me to, to sit here and tell you which of those, because by the way, I, I, I'm going to go on the record. John Shire's not going to play 12 players in every game. Uh, in fact, in close competitive games, I think he's going to probably be closer to an eight man rotation. And if you ask me which of those guys I just talked a little bit about are part of the eight, I don't know the answer to that. Heck, Ryan Young who we probably know more about and have more of a track record on than anyone else on that bench. I'm not even sure that Ryan Young may be starting that, you know, who knows? Yeah. yeah. Um, but Ryan Young is a guy who I'm not convinced is part of the eight. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to find out. Let's just put this out there as well. If this next season uh, for Duke is a disappointment, we really hope that injuries do not become a part of the conversation. Yeah. We're tired of that, Jason. We're tired yeah, of exactly. uh, that take, uh, robbing us from great Duke moments, man. Yeah, a pox upon you for even mentioning that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No kidding. Well, Jason, as always, it's a pleasure having you on the program. Really do appreciate you stopping by. Give me one more plug for Duke Basketball Roundup, if you will. 
Yeah, you can find just Google Duke Basketball Roundup. Uh, no offense to you, JJ. We're the most popular fan-driven Duke Basketball podcast out you guys there. Are great. And yeah, it, it, it's a ton of fun. We love the community that we've built. Uh, reach out to us at dbrpodcast um, at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter at Duke Roundup on Twitter. And we love to hear from the fans. We love to hear from people with questions. We just did a mailbag episode the other day. It ended up going like 50 minutes. Like, yeah, it's a ton of fun. I loved it. You guys were breaking down if you could graduate from Duke in two years. And I'll save that conversation uh, for you guys, for people to go listen to on the show. It was a great one. So uh, really do appreciate you stopping by today as well. We'll do this again soon, okay? Thanks, buddy. Always. That's Jason Evans from the Duke Basketball Roundup joining us here on today's show. And that's going to do it for our program today. Appreciate your support always and what a fun week it was here on Locked On Blue Devils. That'll do it for today's show. As always, go Duke. I'll talk to you on Monday. My name is JJ Jackson. Thank you and good day.